Welcome to Bible Studies for Life Adult Podcast. This is Lynn Pryor, and I'm joined with my co-host, Chris Johnson. Chris, it's good to be with you for another podcast. Lynn, good to talk to you again. Look forward to this study and having this conversation. Yes, and I know that you have just returned from a trip to uh, the, the what I would call the promised land. You just returned from Texas. <laughs> the, the great state. The great state of Texas, yeah. Well, uh, uh, I'm, I'm still getting used to that one. Yeah, well, you see, as a Kentucky boy, welcome to Texas. Well, but thank you, man. Speaking of Texas, we have another Texan joining us, Chris, and that is Ken Braddy. Ken, thank you for being part of this podcast. Hey, Lynn, happy to be here. Thanks for the invitation to come back. And Chris, the big question I got for you is, when you were in Texas, did you get a Whataburger? I did. Okay. I had a, a, now they messed up my order, uh, but it was really good. And um, it would cause me to say, I, I can go back to this place. So as I said, I grew up on them. So I'm a little partial, you know, I know some folks, you know, try them and they say, Oh, I like another brand of burger better. But man, every time we get back to Texas, literally it's the first stop that we make in Texarkana. <laughs> I know right where it is. It's right on the line of Texas and Arkansas. <laughs> And we get a burger right when we get there. That's funny. We used to do that with White Castles um, in uh, when I was in Kentucky. We didn't have uh, White Castle where I where I lived, and we'd come go home, and uh, that would be the first thing we would do. So I understand that. I felt I told my wife I thought that Whataburgers uh, reminded me a little bit of a Whopper, the one that I had, but it was better. It, it was more like a Wendy's type hamburger on a uh, with a Whopper style, but not. So I thought it was great. Well, now we should tell those if you're not listening, if you're not from Texas, what a burger is like. It's the it's the state hamburger. And (laughs) and we get excited about Whataburger. And there's a lot of excitement here in in Nashville area right now because there's reports that Whataburger is coming to our area. And Chris, I think it's even coming up in your neck of the woods. So I was wondering about that. I heard that there was one in Hermitage and then um we had, there was kind of a subtle announcement that there was a, a a burger place coming to Hendersonville, and I've been out of town, but I think that uh, we're probably getting one as well. Well, good for you guys, but we're not here to talk about Whataburgers. So let's uh, talk about brisket. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I had a great brisket while I was there. I don't know the name of the place. My son's father-in-law picked this food up and said it was some of the best in Dallas, and man, it was amazing. Well, let's wrap this podcast up because I am hungry now. But uh, Chris, get us into this study, will you? <laughs> Love to do that. So uh, we're th- three weeks into uh, the study called Essentials of Christianity. And we've been blessed to have Robbie Gallaty as uh, the writer for this uh, pastor at Long Hollow Baptist Church here in, in Hendersonville, Tennessee. And so we've uh, what what we're doing is we're talking about um, just some really basics of Christianity. We've talked already talked about the nature of God and, and the purpose of humanity in the first two weeks. Um, we're leading up to the cross, the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. So those are things that will be coming for us. But today uh, in our study on the essentials of Christianity, we're talking about the nature of sin. And uh, so I've been away and I've been with my son and his uh, children. And um, I'm, I'm a little more attuned to the nature of sin. <laughs> uh, Gallaty talked about that kids are experts at no. And so I have, I have two, my two youngest grandkids, uh, 
They are very strong-willed. They know exactly what they want and don't want. And Ken, I don't know about you, but I decided with my grandkids, I don't know that I made this decision with my kids, but with my grandkids, I've decided that if there is going to be a battle of the wills, I'm going to win. (laughs) (laughs) I am not going to let a three-year-old determine my life and win those kind of wars. So, uh, we didn't have too many, too many of those outright this time, but I've got a grandson. It's like, if he, if he doesn't want to do what he's been told, he just acts like he didn't hear it. Mm, and, how old, uh, how old is he, Chris? He's two. Okay. So my grandson, Logan is, he just turned three. And uh, it was just, I mean, not too long ago uh, that uh, we discovered as we've had uh, some, you know, FaceTime calls with him during the week uh, that he has learned in his two, in his second year, he has wor- learned the word no, you know, that Robbie <laughs> talks about here in the study guide. And it's, it's kind of been funny, honestly, because I can remember when my kids, you know, were young and they would tell us no. And now I'm watching my son and daughter-in-law have to deal with that on their end when he tells them something you know, like no and mom you know my wife and i are sitting here on the other end of the video call and going how do they get to deal with this you know because they <laughs> these kids they learn it early don't they they really do <laughs> so I've, I've i've watched my son my, my son at first has uh we've been we we've been together just little short periods of time and he'll go Dad, he doesn't understand what you're saying. And I'll go, oh, he knows exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> so, so well, you, but you guys like- have proven a point here. Uh, and and I, I remember calling my dad when my oldest son was an infant and was young. And I called my dad and says, well, dad, my son has just proven he has a sin nature. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and that's what we're talking about here, because that's the point of this study. We're all sinners. Uh, and we're that's the nature of sin is it's in all of us. Uh, so and what we're going to do to do this study, there's some great passages in Romans that uh, we, uh, you get into Romans one, two, and three that talks about the universality of sin, but we're not going to be there. I thought it would be fun to do this study. Uh, looking at, at an old Testament passage, Isaiah 59, which also gets into this idea of the sin that is in all of us. Uh, in fact, let me just pick up, uh, this is Isaiah 59. Let me pick up just verse one to pick up this idea that all people are separated from God because of sin. Uh, Isaiah wrote, indeed, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save and his ear is not too deaf to hear, but your iniquities are separating you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you. You know, the thing that impresses me here as we go through these first opening verses, uh, God is not the problem. <laughs> right. <laughs> he's a, he's a, the Lord's arm's not too weak to save. Uh, he's powerful enough to do that. And he absolutely can hear your prayers and your conversations, uh, but he's not. And he goes into that verse two that you just read, Lynn. You know, he talks, talks about you know, the iniquity separating us. And that's really the story of everybody, isn't it? The story it of humanity. Really I was, uh, I'm so glad that that first verse is there. That it, it gives hope in the midst of, uh, of a passage. It gets pretty, um, pretty dark, pretty fast as far as the, as the nature of sin. But it starts with good news. He can't. Yeah. He is strong enough. He can't. He can't hear, and that's good to know. And that's where we're going to kind of cir- we're going to end up there, kind of circling back to realize there's nothing we can do to fix this. But thankfully. Yeah. 
The Lord's arm is not too weak to save. Now, let me ask you guys a question, a serious question here. Should we assume everybody in our group knows what sin is? Or should we explain this idea of sin? What do you, what do you guys think? I used to think that it was clear and that everybody got it. And I think, I think if you've got folks that have, that have, a, that have any kind of church or Bible background, uh, that that is the case, but more and more in our culture, I think we're, we are going to have to do a better job of describing and explaining uh, what sin is and, and the whole dynamic of sin being from the perspective of when we sin, um, it's not just that we do wrong, but it's, it's against God. Um, as I was preparing, I was thinking about Joseph in that uh, um, incident where he is being tempted by Potiphar's wife. And uh, his, his response to her is, your, your husband has put me in charge of all of all that he has and uh, all that he owns. And, you know, he's made, he's, he's made me a ruler over everything except for you. And then he says, how could I sin? But uh, how, how could I do this and sin against God? So, I mean, it's like he flips it um, when he explains it to her. It's like when I sin, I sin against God. I sin against what he says. And I don't think that there are a lot of folks in the culture that we're in. If they don't have a church background, I don't I think that's a hard one for people to get their head around. I think it's almost the beginning point, Chris, you know, of getting somebody to think about their separation from God because of their sin. It's yep. really the starting point. You know, they have to have to come to a realization that, uh, that they are, they're the ones that have strayed. They're the ones that have moved. Uh, God has not moved. And I think we see some of that uh, here in the passage. You know, as you go further into these opening verses, you see the word your half a dozen times. Your sin, your iniquity, your fingers, your lips, your tongues. And so uh, it really does point the finger at humanity, you know, to inform us that we're the ones that uh, have violated uh, a holy God's uh, command for how we're supposed to live. And I don't know that that's very palatable, you know, Lynn, to most people these days that don't have a church background. They may not come into a group or uh, listen in uh, to a Bible study and and would agree that that they're sinners. They may think that's that's for you know the worst of people, you know, the murderers, uh, the adulterers in society, those kind of things. They may not ever really associate that uh, with them. And by not doing that, they would probably not acknowledge that they've got a problem, you know, being separated from God. Sure. And I think a lot of people did define sin in terms of if I hurt somebody, but yeah. if it's, if it's a, if it's an internal attitude or, you know, something that doesn't affect anybody, well, that's not really sin. Cause I didn't, well, it still goes against God. I, I think, I'm, go ahead, Chris. I think Robbie does a good job of couching sin in in the term of rebellion yes um, i thought i thought he did a really good job with that robbie said uh here uh in one particular place he said let's not confuse sin simply with he says in in quotations bad things but he said uh the bad things that we do he said sin is much deeper than that and he said it's when we place our desires and our agendas you know above god's and so it really does help to expand you know your thinking uh, about what exactly is sin 
Right. And it's, as we go through this, uh, these first few verses, he, he kind of compares it to, uh, how does he phrase it here? This is verse five, they hatch vipers, eggs, spiders, webs, you mm-hmm. know, it's, it's the, the, what they're bringing on themselves. Then he says in verse six, he says, their webs become, cannot become clothing and they cannot cover themselves with their works. Their works are sinful works. There's this idea here. Okay, I'm, I decide to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to be a better person uh, and all that. That doesn't change anything. We cannot cover our sins with good works. Mm. And I think so many people do try. You know, don't you, don't you guys believe that today if you were to talk to a group of people uh, that you know, are not uh, church-going folks, they would probably say that they could uh, earn a spot into heaven. And I think that they see almost, they almost see this like a, a scale, you know, where you've got good works on one side and bad works on the other, sin on the other side. And I think, I think the majority of Americans, and I know even some believers struggle with this, and they think wrongly uh, that they can uh, do enough right and uh, stack the deck in their favor and uh, and earn some kind of an admittance to heaven and i think that's very prevalent in our our culture it is and i I wish i had thought of this before to kind of look up the research but lifeway research a year or two back uh, one of their research thinks it was a large percentage of people who said you come to you you get saved by coming to jesus but there's still something they feel like they need to do to help earn their gain their salvation i thought that was it's fascinating It is it's just to make it stick. You know, I gotta, I gotta work for that. And as we know, it's not about our good works. That's pretty much uh, very clear uh, throughout the scripture. Then yeah. it's not about what we do. It's about what Jesus did. Well, we see that in world religions, especially with uh, Islam, that idea that if, if, if I do enough good and it outweighs the bad, I'm okay. It's kind of like a balancing act. Um, and I, you know, I remember when uh, faith was uh, one of the things that uh, Lifeway promoted as an evangelism tool and uh one of the uh first questions was how do, how does a person get into heaven and it would be the question that you had asked and and their research said that over half of the respondents at that time this is early 2000s half of the re- respondents would say if i'm a good person or if i do enough good things sure well, as we, as we come up to the end of this study, we're going to be in verses, uh, still in Isaiah 59, but verses 9 through 13. But as you read verses 9 through 13, keep in mind that first verse we already looked at that says, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save. Because without that, I tell you, verses 9 through 13 just feel hopeless. This is what uh, the prophet wrote. Therefore, justice is far from us. Righteousness does not reach us. We hope for light, but there's darkness. For, for brightness, but we live in the night. We grope along a wall like the blind. We grope like those without eyes. We stumble at noon as though it were twilight. And on and on he goes, showing it's like we're hopeless. But that's why we got to remember verse 1. Because unless Christ does intervene, unless God intervenes, we are without peace, without hope. We are without salvation. Mm. Those are powerful images that he uses, that idea of a, uh, someone groping in the darkness, uh, a, a bear moaning and groaning. Um, I, I hope that uh, it, when people are having discussions about this, that they're talking about some of those images and some of those, those ideas that come out in verses 19 that are, that are so graphic. Yes. 
And Chris, I want to go back to something you you said earlier, uh, as you were talking about uh, Joseph and the situation in Potiphar's house. How could I do this thing and sin against God? Uh, here, when you get down to verse 13, uh, Isaiah says, uh, he says this, he says, our, our transgressions are with us and we know our iniquities. And then he says, transgression and deception against the Lord turning away from following our God. I think that goes right into what you had uh, began this session with, you know, is this idea that, you know, we're, we're the ones that step away. We're the ones that do the wrong. We're the ones. And when we do these things, uh, yes, we're sinning against a person, you know, most likely, but really primarily we're sinning against God who did not create us uh, with the intent that we would do these things. He wants something much better for us and wants us to choose a righteous lifestyle. And, uh, you know, something else that Robbie said here that I, it really struck home with me, I guess, maybe after seeing uh, some of the, uh, the the civil unrest that we've seen in our country and the destruction that's come to many of our cities, uh, you know, uh, Robbie mentioned uh, in, in this section of the, uh, the study, he says, uh, Isaiah told us why they were like this. And he says, our transgressions have multiplied before you. It's verse 12. And he says, instead of improving themselves, as many people think they can do, he said, instead, they were showing uh, that they were only growing and multiplying their sins. You know, it should point them to the fact that they're not going to get themselves out of this predicament. They need the Lord, who, as we read in that first verse, is strong enough to save and is powerful enough to rescue. And without it's, that, we really do have no hope. There is a, it's a good reminder that we can't fix ourselves. So we can't, we can't make it right. Um, and uh, I, I, I think in the second segment of the scriptures, that idea of our tendency to hide or to cover up our sins. Uh, and boy, we see that in our culture. If, if you pay attention to sports or politics, <laughs> there's a lot of, of, uh, hiding in the darkness, not letting anybody know. And then when it's, when it's revealed or made known, uh, it, it, uh, it, it catches the, the people who are in the act by surprise, but that should be the, we should be the least surprised people in the world <laughs> when people do stuff wrong. Cause we all do. And then we try to hide it. That's right. And, you know, even as believers, Chris, you know, we're going to mess up and uh, being a Christian doesn't mean that we all of a sudden have this, you know, this uh, sinless lifestyle. I think that's confusing to people, you know, well, you know, if, if God was so powerful, you know, why do you Christians run around and do X, Y, and Z? And they'll point, they'll point out our sin. And it just, it shows you the powerful nature of the sin side of our nature, you know, that we're born with. But uh, it also shows that, uh, that Christians on this side of heaven uh, are going to have varying degrees of success. You know, hopefully every, every day we're doing a better and better job of learning how to follow Christ and how to live for him, but we are going to, you know, fall short and thank goodness that our, our place in heaven and in God's family does not depend upon that. Cause once, you know, our sins are forgiven, they're forgiven forever. And so, you know, we have to, we have to make sure that, uh, that daily we're coming to the Lord, confessing the sins that we know about and keeping our channel and our relationship with him, you know, as open as we possibly can, so we can hear his voice and be influenced by the leading of the spirit. I think that's one of the, the wonderful and challenging sides of, you know, being a Christian today is that uh, we still are going to struggle with a sin nature, but our sin has been dealt with, thank goodness, by Jesus.
Jesus you know, on the cross. And that's good news. Uh, one of the, I think in a few minutes, you're going to talk about uh, discipleship. And one of the elements of discipleship is, you know, how do we get to that place where we recognize our sins, our sins are forgiven and taken care of, but how, how do we grow to the place where uh, that's just not an overpowering part of our lives. And, um, uh, and, but we do need that reminder. Uh, Christians today need that reminder that we're going to try, we're going to fail. We need to be quick to confess our sins and, and trust that he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness uh, from first John one, nine. And that's good news. That is great news guys. It's been good for us to have a chance to talk about this. I know it's, uh, not the most pleasant, probably conversation to have to talk about uh, about sin and sinfulness, uh, um, and I can imagine that there's going to be um, some interesting, um, maybe conversation lulls, maybe in conversations. Uh, I I want to remind uh, those of you who listen to uh, this podcast that we have set up teaching uh, these these sessions uh, using discussion questions that will help people to have a conversation about these. And I think there are some great questions sure. that will allow people to have a conversation about these things. And I think it'll make it easier to talk about some things that are difficult uh, to, to discuss. Uh, but we want to thank you, those of you who are listening to us for tuning in and for uh, taking advantage of, of this podcast. Hope it's beneficial to you personally. Hope that it will be beneficial to you as you do Bible study this week. And uh, we want to, to uh, take a moment. Ken's going to tell us a little bit about uh, a book that he has worked on that it deals with this, uh, uh, this, with discipleship and the importance of discipleship. And then he has a teaching tip for us in a few minutes as well. Sure. And uh, thanks, Chris. Um, if, if teachers, leaders, if you're not familiar with the name Arthur Flake, you ought to be. Uh, so much of what we do in, in small group Bible studies, Sunday school, life groups, whatever you call it, we owe a debt to Arthur Flake. And so, uh, Ken, tell, tell us about this book. I know it's based on Arthur Flake's, uh, what we call Flake's formula, uh, but just tell us about this new book that has come out for uh, those who lead uh, Sunday schools. Yeah, it's it's one of the most exciting things that's happened, I think, this year, uh, outside of having to deal with COVID, right? Yeah, <laughs> Uh, we started the process of this book uh, in 2019, and COVID kind of sidetracked it, and we got back on track uh, late spring, early summer, and the book is actually releasing on December the 1st, 2020. It'll be available at lifeway.com, and it's called Building a Disciple-Making Ministry, and the subtitle is The Timeless Principles of Arthur Flake for Sunday school and small groups. And so there are principles that he discovered. He, um, he was Lifeways, or before we were Lifeway, we were the Sunday school board of the Southern Baptist Convention in 1920, right when the country, no joke, was coming out of three years of Spanish flu, where 50 million people died worldwide, almost 700,000 Americans died right there when it was ending. They hired Arthur Flake to be the very first director or superintendent, they called it back then, of Sunday school. And cool. so he he began writing books. He wrote 18 books before he retired. Wow. And, he, and he ushered in uh, decades of growth in Sunday school and in discipleship ministries in churches all across the country. And uh, he was a, uh, a student of, uh, of uh, uh, a 
science back then, you know, when the country was moving uh, out of an agrarian culture into one that was more mechanized, uh, scientific management theory came along. It was very much in vogue right then at that moment when he was coming to the board. And scientific management theory basically says, how do you make a widget in as few steps as possible and be very efficient? So it was very formulaic. Well, he applied those formulaic principles to growing a disciple-making ministry. What were the the minimum steps you needed to get that done? And Lynn, you mentioned his formula. He really came up with five steps, and we are still using those today uh, in churches to grow and build disciple-making ministries. Now, the sad thing is, a hundred years later, uh, no one hardly remembers Arthur Flake. So we thought that we would reintroduce the world to this wonderful fellow who we affectionately call the father of Sunday school and uh, let his principles help an entire new generation of pastors and church leaders grow their churches through their group's ministries. So we're excited it's coming out. Uh, it's just uh, a few weeks uh, until it's released uh, on December the 1st, and we can hardly wait to start talking about it and doing some webinars on it and introducing folks to Arthur Flake. Uh, what I love about this book is we're always looking for the newest, the brightest. We're looking for that new book that uh, the, the the current trendy, this is the trendy thing to do to build a church, to build a to build a group. Yet here's a formula that's well over 100 years old, and it, it works. Uh, people think of Sunday school as old and archaic in many ways, but if they just follow the principles, it is, uh, it is top-notch. I mean, it is still works. That's Absolutely. Great. David Francis, our former director of Sunday school, I've heard him say this 100 times. Sunday school works if you work Sunday school. And working Sunday school, honestly, is really working Flake's formula. That's right. Well, Ken, I know you have a tip you want to share with us, but um, uh, and you've always got some really great practical tips. But let me just uh, offer this real quick to the teachers, uh, because we've been talking about this study on the nature of sin. And what's going to really you're going to want to jump on this is you want to get to the answer, Jesus, which and you want to hint. Go ahead and hint at it. But remember, this study doesn't stand alone. This session, next week, we're going to talk about the death of Christ, and the week after that, the resurrection of Christ. So offer that little teaser to get them to come back, because we're going to see the answer. Uh, but don't give it all away this week, or else, uh, hey, we talked about that last week. So that'll give you something for next week to look forward to. So that's my tip. That's free. Uh, but Ken, why don't you share uh, an idea with us? Yeah, I'm going to uh, just give you, a, I'm going to give you two teaching tips, but they're both related that they're going to sound very, very similar. One is to our groups that are still meet, meeting on campus. And uh, that's probably a lot of churches that have groups that are meeting on campus. And, uh, and so sometimes when you're in a, a discussion centered Bible study like this one, sometimes people uh, are a little hesitant to talk. And so one thing that I have found very effective is to, if, if the group's being particularly quiet that day, break them up quickly. Uh, don't f fight against it. 
Uh, you don't have to get onto them or, you know, really, you know, push them hard to answer questions. Just put them in smaller groups, maybe three, four max, and let them spread around the room. If you've got an empty room next door, they can even, you know, head over there for five minutes, give them a question, something that they're going to respond to. People will will talk if they are in a smaller group. When they get in a little bit bigger group, they they tend to clam up. They 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 don't want to be sure. wrong you know, in front of everybody else. So this, they tend to be a little quiet. So one way I found is just create what we call buzz groups, you know, buzz because there's talking and there's kind of this buzz in the room. So I found groups of three with a maximum of four, very effective for that. So that'd be a tip for the people that are, that are in class, you know, in a group on a campus, but we do have many groups that are online and they're leading these Bible studies via zoom. And so a tip that I want to give you there is if you're using a tool, especially zoom, it has a breakout feature. It's called breakout rooms, and you can literally put your people into an electronic version of a buzz group. The uh, program will actually do it itself. It'll divide your group. If you got, you know, uh, 12 people, it'll split them into, you know, three groups of four or four groups of three, and uh, it'll do it. And that way you can put them in a buzz group electronically. So if you're looking at the screen, you're looking at a dozen folks and there's not much discussion, I'd say, hey, folks, we're going to use the breakout feature here i'm going to put you in some groups answer this question i'll bring you back into the main room in about three minutes here we go and that way you can create those electronic buzz groups it'll get folks talking it's a good idea hey and by the way if you want some other uh ken's got a a boatload of great practical ideas ken has a website for sunday school leaders uh kenbrady.com k-e-n-b-r-a-d-d-y kenbrady.com if you'll go there uh can you post uh is it Two times a week, three times a week. Yeah, it just kind of it kind of depends. I, I aim for two or three, and and normally hit that. Uh, so yeah, it's it's fairly regular right now. Yeah, uh, and there there's a, great. They're little snippets, just a yeah. little snippet you can read, just uh, you know, a couple of minutes, and it's great ideas that are there for you all. So I encourage you to look at those. Well, thanks for listening to this podcast, Bible Studies for Life for Adults podcast. Hope that this has been beneficial and helpful to you. Hope that as you uh, head into a a week where you're having conversations with others uh, about the issues that we've discussed today, that this will help you in those conversations. Again, thanks, Ken, for being with us. You always uh, bring such good ideas and Thanks for the reminders of ways to get people to talk. I think that's uh, critical for us uh, to help people to have these conversations around the scripture. Glenn, always good to be with you. Thanks for leading our our time together. And we look forward to uh, being with you all who listen to this uh, next week.